Welcome to episode 142 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, the observing or public public astronomy episode. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. So Shane, what is public astronomy or public observing? Well, the way I think of it is, is when we take our telescopes to um, like a public area, whether it's a, a park or like a parking lot or something like that. And then we, um, we basically just show people the night sky through a telescope or sometimes even just through binoculars. Um, now that's kind of it at its rawest or, or, you know, uh, the, the main intent of it, but, you know, oftentimes, uh, we'll try to layer in also like a presentation aspect to it. And that presentation can be, um, <clears throat> like a formal sort of PowerPoint presentation where there's a projector and a screen and we walk people through some slides and, and talk about various things. But like the point is to educate people a little bit more about astronomy and, and observing in the night sky. Um, and sometimes also the presentation aspect can be a bit of a like visual observing where we, well, and by we, I mean you, cause I don't really do this, but, but it's a constellation walk where yeah. you get people gathered, uh, together and then you start at, you know, prominent bright star, explain the constellation and the stars that are a part of it, and then kind of move on across the sky to other prominent constellations and, uh, again, try to just educate people a little bit more on identifying things up there. Yeah, well, don't don't sell yourself too short there because you've you've certainly done your fair share of public astronomy presentations, Shane. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I've delivered. Yeah, I've delivered a lot of presentations and certainly have shown hundreds, probably thousands of eyeballs have looked through my telescopes as well yeah. at various yeah. events. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, no, you're uh, you're you're one of those people I've learned a lot about for for doing this type of stuff. And one of one of the things that I thought was really interesting is um, so so when I first uh, became a member of like an astronomy club, I thought that most astronomy clubs did a lot of this public observing, but the one that I joined uh, didn't really do that much. Just like maybe once a year kind of thing, and uh, we would get like, oh man, I. I got to say like a thousand people would show up and it was pretty exhausting. So I kind of understood why they did them a little bit more sparingly because we, we would just be so inundated with, with people that would just, uh, it would just take a lot out of you. So yeah, we would go and do them just like once or twice a year. Um, and then when I moved, uh, you know, to Ontario, we did some and we would get like moderate numbers. Um, but they did a lot more. They, they did them, um, like every season they would do a session, it seemed. And mm -hmm. then, uh, and then when I came out here, you guys did something really different, which I hadn't seen before. You guys do a lot of this, uh, like public solar observing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So the solar observing is a big part of the, the public outreach that the local Regina club does. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, you know, number one is, is there's a lot of like daytime events uh, throughout the year. Um, like for example, Canada Day um, in our big park in our city, there's, there's a huge Canada Day celebration with all sorts of things set up to draw people into this park. You know, there's a strongman competition. There's like a plywood, wood building or boat building competition. And, 
you know, bouncy things for young children to play on. And, and the list goes on. There's a whole bunch of things that are happening. And um, the astronomy club would always get a, like a site um, as a part of the sort of uh, attractions, I guess, for the public. And um, we turned that into uh, solar observing. And then it really grew from there to, you know, uh, like when it's uh, uh, International Astronomy Day, um, again, that's sort of a daytime thing. So we would set up at chapters during the day, do solar observing, and then in the evening, tell people that we would be at the science center to do some, you know, uh, like nighttime observing of the moon and other things. And uh, it really, um, it really helped, I think, expose people to astronomy and, and to our club. Um, because again, like the, the sun is, you know, a great thing to look at when properly filtered. And we also bought a couple of hydrogen alpha telescopes to really show some of the amazing detail that the sun offers. And, uh, yeah, it was, it's a lot of fun. And then, you know, at the star parties, uh, so there's an annual Saskatchewan summer star party at, uh, Cypress Hills interprovincial park where there's evening, um, uh, public observing, but there's always uh, daytime solar observing as well. And again, it's H alpha and uh, white light filters. And uh, yeah, we do, we do a lot of that throughout the year for sure. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I think they're having the, the star party this year, but uh, my understanding is there's not going to be any uh, public observing component, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. The star party is happening. In fact, I think it's like days away. Um, I think it's this coming week here like August 7th or something like that, it's kicking off. And um, so I think there's quite a few astronomers coming, like usually it's in the two to 300 uh, neighborhood will attend this thing. Yeah. Um, and then in the past, like, yeah, there's been public observing. Uh, there's been all sorts of uh, uh, presentations throughout the day. All of like the only thing that's happening is the astronomy at night. There's no public outreach. There's no presentations and, and it's all related to the pandemic. Just, you know, we're, it's opening up a little bit because people are getting vaccinated and, and uh, you know, it's summertime. So, you know, the numbers seem to decline a little bit, but uh, still precautions are, are being taken. Uh, um, and I think because like that is a, a, a totally amateur run uh, event and they have to plan. And, and we know uh, uh, one of the key, one of the key uh, planners for that is Rick Huziak, who's, who's a good friend and uh, and someone who usually joins us in the, in the grasslands for our sessions uh he's actually one of the head uh, organizers for the saskatchewan summer star party but uh but as it's amateur run they they do have to plan it very very far in advance um because they're just doing um you know everything in their kind of own quote-unquote free time although i think i think Rick Day, they dedicates more than than just his free time. I think it dedicates an awful lot of time to, to getting it organized, um, but they do have to plan it and then execute it uh, all, uh, all with volunteer uh, uh, person hours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Yeah. And then the, the local Regina club um, usually again in a pre pandemic would do about seven or eight public outreach events a year. And those would typically happen during the warmer months. So it would be, um, usually in our provincial parks, um, uh, e like evening observing and then sprinkle in a few daytime observing events throughout the year as well. And like, you know, the, the events like the Canada day event, um, it, it would easily, there would easily be more than like over a thousand people would come by and look through the telescopes during that one day. Yeah. Um, the, the evening events in the provincial parks, um, 
you know, those could number anywhere from probably 50 to maybe a couple of hundred. Um, and then, you know, we, uh, we always go down to Grasslands National Park and we usually do a couple of events down there. Um, and those have slowly grown, like we're in the middle of nowhere down there. And, uh, you know, I think the first times we did these, it was like six people would attend and and five of those six people were, were park staff, you know, (laughs) it it wasn't. Oh yeah. Or, or their families. That's right. There, there wasn't uh there wasn't a lot of people, but that's really changed uh, over yeah. the, over the last few years. They've, they've really been promoting the park too uh, in terms of its darkness as, as you know, one of the drawing factors and uh, you know, now to get a hundred to 200 people down there uh, going through the telescopes in one night is not uncommon. No. And I mean, in fact, it's, it's sort of been uh, we've kind of been a little victim of victim of success there because you know uh, our you know our canadian astronomy magazine would be reaching out to them saying hey like do you guys want to advertise and they're like we can't handle the numbers we have you know like we can't we can't advertise really so so they they really put it out um in very limited um proportions and then this year so because of the pandemic and because we're, we're doing our event as part of a government program. Um, we're going to do public observing, but it has to meet with the government restrictions and requirements on a federal and provincial level, of which there's no really provincial restrictions now, but there are federal guidelines for the stuff. Um, and as, as such, because of that, we can do 50 people a night. So we're going to do, instead of just doing one night, we'll do two nights. Um, usually on one night, we might get between, like you said, 100 to maybe 300 people out well we know exactly how many people we're going to get and when i was talking to parks canada they said well they they can't even release the program to the public until i think two weeks before because otherwise um it just they just get inundated with calls for people um, wanting to to get into the program and and having just to turn away people so um, they'll, they'll have, they said they'll probably fill it in. And it was already filled. I think when I chatted with them last time, but fills in about three days, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. It's, it's nice that there's a lot of interest in it. And, you know, for people that are in those parks, it's just such an amazing opportunity, uh, to look through a telescope, but also to look through a telescope under a dark sky, uh, which makes such a huge difference. Um, and, and, you know, for me as, as an astronomer, you know, obviously I love looking through my telescope and I love looking at all sorts of things, but, you know, I get a lot of joy out of showing, uh, you know, members of the public who probably have never looked through a telescope. Uh, I get a lot of joy, uh, out of showing them, um, all sorts of things up, up in the night sky, like the reactions are priceless and, you know, developed a lot of good memories too of, of, um, you know, just the amazement, you know, and sharing, sharing how amazing the night sky is. Yeah. So what do you like to show people when you're, when you're bringing them up to uh, your telescope? Um, yeah, good question. So when, when people come to my telescope, one of the things I like to encourage them is to, because often we'll have more than just a couple of telescopes set up, you know, there's a, you know, depending on the size of the crowd and how many, you know, astronomers are, are there to help. Um, you know, we usually end up with probably four to six or seven telescopes set up, um, which means you have a lot of variety of telescopes. You know, there's different apertures and there's different styles of telescopes. So the first thing that I'll, I'll get them to do is, uh, or, or to be aware of is to just 
look at the differences between the telescopes because some of the telescopes will be showing them the same thing. You know, at early on in the evening, sometimes only the moon is really visible, or sometimes the planets like Jupiter or Saturn are visible. So there will be multiple telescopes looking at the same object. So I always encourage them just to note some of the differences, you know, how big something maybe looks or how much detail you're able to see. Um, but anyway, that's not really the question you asked me. <laughs> um, so what do I like to show people? Um, well, well <laughs> sorry. I was going to say that, that, that explains why I always get people coming up saying, I want to look through all the telescopes <laughs> <laughs> at Jupiter or Saturn or, you know, and then you get a bit of a request going there. No, it's cool. It's cool though. Like it's, it, I think it's a good, it's a good point, you know, like for people to actually uh, go around and look through all the scopes because I have noticed that sometimes when we do it, somebody will come out and just take like one quick look through one telescope, but then, you know, they, they kind of go, you know, heading off, uh, thinking they, they've had the experience, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I do like to show a variety of objects to give people, um, you know, sort of a, I guess like a, uh, like a astronomy 101 of, of here's some things that you can see in the night sky. Now, typically when we do this, we're doing it in the summertime. So, you know, things like uh, M42, the great Orion Nebula, that's not even an option. So, um, you know, the, the objects that I uh, hone in on are mostly summer or kind of early fall objects. Um, so number one, if the moon is up, that's like a must, a must show thing because there's just so much detail and people are always amazed at all the craters and rain mountain ranges that they're able to see. Um, second to that would be the planets. You know, if uh, Mars is, uh, at a favorable opposition, uh, or Jupiter and Saturn, if they're up, uh, I love showing those even Venus, you know, to show the phases is, is very cool. So, um, you know, and the first time anybody ever sees Saturn through a telescope, it's, it's a moment they, they will never forget. And their, their reactions when people see Saturn for the first time is just incredible. It kind of brings me back to when I first saw it the first time. Um, so I love that stuff. Um, and then up in the sky, I'll, uh, typically like for deep sky stuff, I'll typically show like the, uh, the ring nebula, um, because it shows well in just about any aperture of telescope and, and it has, um, it has like some definition, like it looks like a ring and it sort of teaches people as well to use averted vision. So I'll, I'll explain that to them as well as, you know, cause the ring is one of those objects when you look at it directly, you see it, but when you look at it with averted vision, you really see it, you know, it really shows itself a lot better. Yeah. Um, I love showing the double cluster, um, up in Perseus there. Uh, that's, you know, that's always a beautiful thing to look at. Um, now if I have a little bit more aperture, um, like my 120 millimeter telescope, I might show M13, uh, because you know, it, it's just incredible. Um, especially when you start to resolve some of the cluster itself into individual stars, um, the, uh, you know, basically pan around anywhere in Sagittarius. There's lots of great things there with the Trifid and the, the Lagoon Nebula, um, uh, you know, M17, the list goes on. There's so much to see in that, uh, neighborhood. Um, and then, you know, heading into the, some of the fall objects, um, depending how late we're out with public, sometimes, uh, M31, the Andromeda galaxy, uh, the Pleiades, you know, all of that stuff uh, is just phenomenal to show the public. Um, and then I always uh, uh, show them Elbirio as well in Cygnus. Um, and I explain that most of the stars up there are, you know, multiple star systems. 
Um, and then explain that while Alberio looks like a, one of these systems, they're actually not gravitationally impacting each other. It's just an optical alignment. But what I like showing that for is that um, you can see the color difference, right? There's a red star and a blue star, and it becomes very apparent uh, in the telescope, and people are usually blown away by that. Um, and then sometimes I'll even show, you know, like Polaris, that it's a double star, but um, that's a lot more challenging, and that's usually for like the the diehards that are still there after everybody's gone to bed. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. What What do you like to show? Yeah, so I really like to show them uh, the Milky Way, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, especially like when we get to to dark sites and when the skies are good enough, um, and you can you can see the Milky Way. Uh, most people uh, may have kind of heard about the Milky Way before but they don't realize uh, what they're looking at, you know, and, and from a really dark site, um, those Milky Way clouds uh, look like clouds. Um, and then, you know, frequently we're, we're actually asked, you know, you know, if, if we haven't gotten to that point in the programming yet, um, like what are those clouds? Or once you start saying, Hey, like this is the Milky Way and you kind of start pointing it out to them. Uh, inevitably someone will say, yeah, I was wondering what those clouds were. I thought that was really weird how there was these clouds in the sky and, they were they were there. They they didn't seem to change shape, but they were slowly moving from from east to west and getting higher and going up into the overhead. And people are blown away by the fact that this is actually our own Milky Way galaxy, and and we're inside of it. And you can actually see our own our own galaxy is uh, is a pretty interesting thing, uh, you know, for people to see, especially if if they've never even seen the Milky Way before. And I forget what the statistic is, but it's something like sixty or eighty percent of the world's population has has never seen the Milky Way before, and um, and so it is really cool to to be able to show that to people, and and that's not something they even need a telescope uh, to see. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and it always, you know, it shouldn't surprise me, but it always surprises me when we go down to grasslands, how many people are there just to see the Milky Way, because they've never seen that before. And, um, you know, I, it's something I take for granted, and I shouldn't, but you're right, you know, that is a good thing to, to show people, um, because, uh, you know, I think we just, at least I think, you know, everybody knows what that is. But, you know, if you've never seen it before, you may not. Yeah, even even people that have even been out to some of our other sessions or have looked through telescopes before, um, it's it is just sort of a strange thing, like these these billowing clouds that uh, that come out of the south and go up overhead and, and into the northern part of the sky. Um, most people just would assume that they were just just clouds um, if they didn't have it uh, specifically pointed out to them. And and I remember even when I was getting going in astronomy, like I remember knowing what the Milky Way was, but then even trying to sort out like which is the M42 quote unquote star cloud, which we're just, it's not really a star cloud, we're just looking through a gap. And then the, the Sagittarius star cloud or, or the, um, sorry, the Scutum star cloud where, uh, where M11 and that Gulf Putter asterism are. Um, you know, and, and up into Cygnus, you know, kind of sort of breaking apart and, and identifying each of those individual clouds and in the dark lane and, um, you know, different, different things like that, um, you know, are, are really fascinating to, to see and, and don't really require much in the way of equipment at all. Just a naked eye or, or a decent pair of uh, low power binoculars are really ideal for, for doing that. Um, and certainly that's kind of how we observe for sure. We, we spend a lot of time just looking at the sky without the telescope and i think people are sometimes pretty surprised to hear that uh that no no we it's not all about the telescope people get really focused on the gear sometimes eh? 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. That That is a good point. Um, you know, one thing I want to mention too, just about public observing or, or public outreach, like what you and I are talking about here, is um, I think some people are like some amateur astronomers are kind of intimidated uh, about doing this, um, thinking that maybe they don't know enough about the night sky, or they won't be able to answer all of the questions that they maybe would get asked and are kind of hesitant to actually do this. And that certainly was me a long time ago. Um, but what you quickly find out is really no matter, no matter what level of experience you have as an amateur astronomer, you know, if you just bought your first telescope three months ago, you still know exponentially more about the night sky than just about anybody who's going to come look through your telescope. Um, so my, my reason for saying this is, um, you know, if you've ever thought about doing public observing, just go out and do it. Um, even if you're a little nervous or hesitant, you will probably end up loving it. Um, it is a pretty cool experience. Um, and you know, I think probably for sure me and maybe, maybe you too, Chris, I do get questions I can't answer and that's fine. <laughs> you know, sometimes people will tell me or ask me how far is that object or how big is that object? And, uh, you know, I don't have all that in my mind or my memory. So I, you know, I just tell them to do an internet search and, and, you know, you can find that information out that way. Um, but anyway, you know, it can be super rewarding and anybody with a telescope or binoculars, um, can do this. Um, so, you know, it's something that, uh, I really enjoy. And, and I think a lot of others do too. Yeah. And, and the public observing and, and, uh, you know, a lot of this, it comes out of uh, sort of the John Dobson uh, tradition of the sidewalk, I think it was the San Francisco sidewalk astronomers. And they would, they would sit up on the sidewalks in San Francisco uh, down in California. And they would, they would show people like the moon and planets and that through, uh, through telescopes, just, you know, set up in really badly light polluted um, areas, um, you know, and, and it is, uh, kind of a funny thing in a way, like, you know, here you are set up, uh, you know, because we're doing more structured programming, we don't get that as much, but uh, people are usually pretty surprised when they see Saturn through the telescope for the first time, because um, they've seen photographs of it. And then the, the idea that it pretty much looks uh, like a photograph through the telescope uh, is usually something, uh, sometimes people will look at us question and question, like, are you pulling one over on me kind of thing? Like, am I really looking at this in real time? This isn't an image, you know, it's pretty mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, the first time I saw Saturn, I, gee, I think I was like eight years old or 10 years old. I, I was quite young and my mother, um, had taken me to like a, the local Regina astronomy club, uh, had, uh, I think public observing who like a regular cadence, like a couple nights a month. Um, and they had a, a refractor telescope set up in an observatory in the city. So my mother took me there. Uh, Saturn was the, what they were showing that night. And I was, I, I didn't believe that I was seeing it. I thought they had just taken a magazine cutout and, and taped it to the end of the yeah. telescope tube. I just couldn't believe that it looked like that, that it looked like what you see in a magazine. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's, it is pretty neat. Uh, just what you can see and then you know being able to see those bands on Jupiter and those those moons around Jupiter pretty clearly and then you know even even one thing I'd like to do is uh, is you know and I do this more and more now is is tell people just to dig out an old pair of binoculars and look at the moon the next time uh, the moon is up um, and it's not at full phase um, but when it's at like a quarter phase or, or any phase other than really truly full when they can see like sort of a partial moon, like just grab the binoculars and take a look. And um, I do this in my class as well. And then people are just, 
blown away by what they can see with a pair of binoculars on the moon and and virtually every class that that i've taught and and have gotten people to do this uh, the next class some has done it and they come back and they're like i had no idea you know you can see craters and all this stuff and all this detail i thought you needed a telescope to see that and it you know it really spurred on some people just just to get good binoculars they were taking the courses like maybe a general interest um, and then they, they've actually uh, sort of taken up as as a bit of a side hobby, um, you know, and, and look at the moon and, and uh, you know, use their binoculars to scan the sky. So I, I've probably sold a lot of 8x40 binoculars over the past decade. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So if, if somebody wants to get into uh, public observing, I think we probably have a few tips that we can share. Um, you know, and, and when we start this off, usually we have like the presentation aspect. So one of the things we always talk about when we kind of have everybody's attention is the importance of not using a white light, you know, so Mm -hmm. like, and that includes your cell phone screen, uh, basically, you know, any sort of lighting source, we, we really try to drive at home that you should be using as little light as possible. Um, and that, you know, when your eyes adapt to the, the darkness, you can actually see quite a bit around you. Um, and that if you do have to use a light, um, you know, make sure it's a red light or an amber light. Um, so, so we always drive that home. Um, and then I think both of us, Chris have, uh, eyepieces that we do use more so for public. Um, you know, inevitably what will happen is, you know, particularly younger folks, um, you know, they learn the world by touching things (laughs) and, um, you know, kids like to put their fingerprints on everything. And sometimes that'll be the lens of your eyepiece. Um, and certainly that can be cleaned off of any glass, but you know, I don't, I don't like to touch my optics all that much in terms of cleaning them. So, you know, I have some public eyepieces that, what, what I want in a public eyepiece is something that has good eye relief so that if um, somebody's wearing glasses, they can comfortably still look through this eyepiece, but also like a, something that's easy to adjust the eye cup so that if they have glasses, I can just flip it up real quick um, or I guess flip it down. And then if they don't have glasses, I can flip it up and it's uh, you know kind of a comfortable experience for them. Yeah. Um, and then I noticed here in the notes, uh, and this is a real good one here, uh, like to bring a, a chair or a stool for kids. In fact, when I used to have my 12 inch light bridge, I had a little two-step ladder that I would bring. Um, so that like, cause uh, you know, some kids are just too short to, to see through the eyepiece and, um, you know, having a stool or something for them to climb up on, um, you know, can help them actually see something then through your telescope. Yeah. 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 No, that that's all good. I got a couple things I think I can add to this. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So one, one thing that you touched on is, is the presentation and, um, you know, one of the reasons why I like to do that is that, uh, if the sky ends up being really crummy, um, sometimes, uh, you can, you can sort of keep the presentation going, uh, for a bit longer, either a, to, to give the sky a little bit of time, uh, to clear out some inches, get some clouds that are passing through for maybe uh, 20 minutes or so. And then uh, the other thing is that, uh, you know, uh, to, to give people a bit of an introduction to what you're going to see uh, that night and then uh, kind of see certain things over another. Like somebody might say, yeah, I've always wanted to see a galaxy or I've always wanted to see a nebula or I really want to see a planet. Yeah, that's what I've that's what I've come here for. And it really solidifies that for them. So then when they, they wander out to the telescopes, they have a bit of a plan. Um, and I noticed that when you don't do that, 
Um, sometimes what happens is uh, people will come to the presentation if it's just like a general astronomy presentation, and then they actually won't come and even look through the telescopes. And I always think that actually getting people to to come and look through the scopes is sort of one of the main things. And then the other thing is, and and sort of we exemplify this is uh, is I'll, I'll often volunteer and set up and do the presentation, but then uh, yeah, you guys are are pretty good uh, typically to set up the telescopes. And uh, and let people look through them, and yeah, it's a little bit of a division of labor there, um, you know, so that nobody's sort of responsible for doing uh, everything, you know, all night. Although uh, although this year I think it might be might be a little bit of that on my end because uh, just of the way the pandemic rules uh, have have sort of drifted. But but typically I I'll do the talk and then and then I'll set up a telescope too. But uh, but typically you guys will will uh, have a, have a longer line, and then with the parks folks there uh, they'll they'll. Do do their own own bit with the with the astronomy too so it, it's really great to partner with other organizations maybe is is one of the other things i want to add whether it's a local park or another nature group or something like that um, it can actually help get more people out and then have uh, have a bit of uh, of kind of diversity in in who's who's talking and who's interacting with different folks and you can actually have a really good um, public outreach event uh, by simply working with either other amateurs or working with other organizations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is, it is good to pair up or if you can, um, it, you know, there's probably some advantages to um, joining with another organization. And like you said, some of it is just the division of labor. And if you do one of these events and you're the only one there and there's a hundred or 200 people, that's a lot for one person to manage. Um, yeah. you know, I think our rule sort of is for about every 20 to 25 people, you should have a telescope to represent that. So if you have a hundred people, you probably want four or five telescopes to help, you know, man, like get people through, uh, the lines because people will line up and, you know, you don't want people waiting super long. So it's nice to have a few telescopes, uh, to facilitate that. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's perfect advice there, Shane. I I think you've uh, you've really described it well. I think of you as really a, an expert um, public outreach person, especially compared to me. I I kind of do some some different things, but uh, I think you're definitely somebody I've learned uh, a lot when it comes to uh, doing public outreach and education. You've certainly been doing it a lot longer than I have, so uh, thank you for that. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for that, Chris. And it's a lot of fun. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we won't get a lot of it done this year, or at least as much as what we're used to. But, you know, in a way too, Chris, this, this podcast in a way is a little bit of public outreach. It certainly helped fill some of that niche for me. And it's been great to uh, interact with listeners. Uh, some, you know, I've been observing for a long, long time, and it's great to have conversations with them. Some are just getting into the hobby. And it's equally as fun to have conversations with them too, uh, over email and, and uh, sometimes audio messages. <laughs> and I think that's that's a great way to kind of circle around and, and wrap up, uh, unless you have anything further to add. Well, that's everything, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you. And thanks, everybody. And just uh, uh, hopefully everybody can be a little bit patient with my audio delay because uh, I'm, I'm out uh, at my dark sky site. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>